Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful day that we can be gathered into your house. We thank you, Lord, for the joy of being able to worship your holy name. Lord, we come to you today giving thanks for Jesus, our perfect sacrifice and our perfect high priest. And we just praise you for the love that you have shown us through your Son. We ask, gracious God, that you would guide us in our worship, that you would let your Holy Spirit be here amongst us, that you'd speak to us through your words today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let us join together for our call to worship. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let's sing the first, third, and fifth verse of Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head such as I at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when God the mighty maker died for his own creature's sin at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. But drops of tears can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day as we come into our prayer time today my encouragement to you all is and we had all pretty much all joys to share today, and that's that's always a good thing. And I want us to feel encouraged to go to God, not just with our concerns, but with our joys, with our things that we are thankful for, because He wants to celebrate them with us. 
And so as we come to God in prayer today, He is just know that He is a God who does answer prayer and He listens to our griefs, but He wants to share with us in our joys as we have shared them today. Let's sing our prayer hymn today, I Surrender All. I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender Let's come to God in prayer today. Gracious, holy, and loving God. Lord, we come to you today, your thankful people. We are thankful for being able to be gathered into your house. We are thankful to have more of those who have been gone so long from the church to be back with us today as we continue to move through these difficult times. Though they are difficult, we know that you are with us and you have revealed your love to us through your son, Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks for the joy of family and the joy of music, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for our church building that we can be gathered in today. Gracious God, we come to you bringing our, the things that weigh upon our heart as well. We pray for those who are sick and in need of healing. We pray that you touch them and give them your strength and be the great physician for them. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving loss. We pray, gracious God, that you would give them your peace, your comfort, and to reveal to them your love. Holy God, we come to you praying that you would be with our world that seems to be in such difficulty in so many ways. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our failings and take us and shape us into the image of your Son that we might bear your light into the world, to reveal that there is hope, to reveal that there is good news in spite of the darkness. Gracious God, we come to you praying for our doctors and our nurses, our military and our law enforcement, Lord, our healers, our peacekeepers, and our peacemakers. We pray you guide, direct, and protect them. But most especially, let them know that they are never alone, but you are with them. And we pray for all who serve, but especially the friends and family of these churches. We lift them up to you. 
Holy God, we come to you today praying for our leaders in government that you would give them wisdom from on high, that you might work through them to do your will until that great day comes when your Son comes again and brings your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, most of all, we pray for those that do not know you. We pray that you would use us as your ministers to share your love with them, that all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Father, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you and we lay them down at your feet this day, knowing you hear our every prayer. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, gracious God, we continue to pray to you this day the prayer that your Son Jesus, the risen Lord of the church, taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we prepare to go into our time of Scripture and the Word today, let us sing our hymn, Victory in Jesus. precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his
has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing Our scripture for today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and we will be reading the entire chapter. The writer of Hebrews says, The first tabernacle, the tabernacle was the tent that the Israelites used in the wilderness as a mobile temple to God. So I just wanted to point that out in case you are not familiar with what that is. The first tabernacle had, of course, its own regulations for worship, and it contained the earthly sanctuary. A double tent was constructed. In the outer one was the lampstand, the table, and the bread of presence. This is called the holy place. After the second curtain came the inner tent called the holy of holies. This contained the golden altar and the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered completely in gold. In the Ark were the golden urn containing the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And it was the cherubim of glory which overshadowed the mercy seat. There is much we could say about all this, but now is not the time. With all these things in place, the priests continually go into the first tabernacle in the ordinary course of their duties. But only the high priest goes into the second tabernacle once every year, and he always takes blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. The Holy Spirit indicates by this that as long as the original tabernacle is still standing, the way is not yet open into the sanctuary. This is a picture, so to speak, of the present age. During this period, gifts and sacrifices are offered which have no power to perfect the conscience of those who come to worship. They only deal with foods and drinks and various kinds of washings. These are regulations for the ordering of bodily life until the appointed time, the moment when everything will be put into proper order. 
But when the Messiah arrived as high priest of the good things that were coming, he entered through the greater and much superior tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of the present creation, and not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered once and for all into the holy place, accomplishing a redemption that lasts forever. If the blood of bulls and goats, you see, and the sprinkled ashes of a heifer make people holy in the sense of purifying their bodies when they had been unclean, how much more will the blood of the Messiah who offered himself to God through the eternal spirit as a spotless sacrifice cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason... Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. For the purpose was that the purpose was that those who are called should receive the promised inheritance of the age to come. Since a death has occurred which provides redemption from transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where there is a covenant, you see, it is vital to establish the death of the one who made it. A will laid down in covenant only takes effect after death. It has no validity during the lifetime of the one who made it. That's why even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been read out to the people by Moses, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has made with you. Then, in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the vessels used in worship with blood. Tabernacle, uh, sorry, in fact, more or less everything is purified with blood according to the law. There's no pardon without bloodshed. That's why it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly objects to be purified in this way, while the heavenly things themselves require better sacrifices than these. For the Messiah did not enter into a sanctuary made by human hands, the copy and pattern of the heavenly one, but into the heavenly one itself, where he now appears in God's presence on our behalf. Nor did he intend to offer himself over and over again in the same way that the high priest goes into the sanctuary year after year with blood that isn't his own. Had that been the case, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Instead, he has appeared once at the close of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of his own self. Furthermore, just as it is laid down that humans have to die once and after that comes judgment, so the Messiah having been offered once and for all to take away the sins of many, will appear a second time. This will no longer have anything to do with sin. It will be in order to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
as we continue in our post-Easter series looking at some of the many different ways that the early church leaders explained how Jesus' death and resurrection makes everything different, I want you all to remember back several weeks ago to a message that I gave on Abraham and Isaac and the need for a sacrifice. Abraham had a relationship with God. God had blessed him with a son, and God was going to use Abraham and his family to bless all the world. In essence, God was going to use this man as the means by which he would save all humanity and all creation. But there was a problem. Abraham and Sarah broke nearly every rule of decency to get the blessing of the son Isaac. He and his wife used and abused their Egyptian servant. They had lied to about every king they met about Sarah being Abraham's wife. In short, they did not live up to their end of the bargain. And now God is making Abraham choose. Do you love me more or the gift more? In a moment of redemption, Abraham is willing to give up the gift of his son Isaac and God stays his hand. The plan of the world's salvation will move forward. But time will reveal that things don't change much. Abraham's children continuously fall into sin throughout the Old Testament, worshiping other gods, abusing each other, and creating a breach between God and his children that is so great that no one can cross it. So that brings us to our passage that we read in Hebrews today. A little bit of the background on the book of Hebrews Literally, no one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. There is some tradition that says that Paul wrote it. But if you compare the writing of the book of Hebrews to Paul's other writings, they don't match up. They're entirely different. This does not seem like Paul's style of writing. And so because of that, uh, Martin Luther, when we come to the time of the Protestant Reformation, will actually make the statement that God only knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know that it comes in that first generation after the death and resurrection of Jesus, sometime in the, towards the end of the first century A.D. or beginning of the second. But no one knows who wrote it. And yet, in spite of not knowing who wrote it, it has so much good stuff in it. It's, it's a difficult book to read. And I'm going to try to work to unpack some of what the writer is saying here in chapter 9 specifically today. But the letter, this, this letter to the Hebrews, deals with Jewish Christians wondering if they need to continue in the old worship of sacrificing in the temple. In essence, they question whether or not did Jesus dying once satisfy everything or do we need to continue <clears throat> the sacrificing of bulls and goats and sheep? 
Ultimately, it's drawing into question, does Jesus' death and resurrection do everything that we need to have eternal life? And the answer is yes. Hebrews is known for having what we call in theological circles a very high Christology. And what that means simply is it had an incredibly high view of the person of Jesus. Some writings in that era emphasized the humanity of Jesus because Jesus was a man. Hebrews, however, very much emphasizes that though Jesus was a man who died, that he is also divine. So this is what we mean by having a very high Christology. It's emphasizing the divinity, Jesus' godhood. And this brings us to today's passage. So, some of the stuff that the writer, I will always refer to this person as the writer since we don't know who they are. This brings us to our passage today, and I need to unpack some things for you all in order to kind of understand what the writer is trying to get out here. The writer spends a large portion, about half of chapter 9, talking about the old tabernacle. That is that pre-temple temple. It was a temple tent that the Hebrews carried about in the wilderness and would be the main focal point of worship for the Hebrews until the building of the temple in Jerusalem by King Solomon. The tabernacle would be where all the sacrifices take place, where all of the high prayers take place. This would be where all of the ritual worship would take place. This was considered to be the place where the people encountered God directly. It was a mini Eden, the place where heaven and earth meet. The idea behind the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was this, basically it's just a box. And they had the Ten Commandments in there. They had a jar of manna that was found in the wilderness. They have Aaron's staff in there. And then on top it had a lid that had two cherubim. And we confuse cherubim with angels. Cherubim are like these spiritual animals that are, think of like a sphinx or something like that. And they're usually depicted as guardians or kind of like temple guards. And they sat on top of the box and... In ancient times, other people's religions, they would have an image of their God in the Holy of Holies. So the design of the tents is very similar to what other ancient peoples did. But there's a couple of big differences. Inside the tabernacle, it's all decorated like a garden. There's pictures of, of pomegranates and trees this all has Garden of Eden imagery, where God walked on earth with people. Also, there is no image of God in there, just these two cherubim and an empty space between them. The cherubim were not idols. They were seen as symbolic guardians of the Holy of Holies, and God's Spirit resided in the empty space between this, in essence, was supposed to mean that the Ark of the Covenant was like God's footstool on earth. 
Only once a year was the high priest allowed to go in there. And we'll get into that in a minute. But this was where people would go and speak to God directly. And it didn't happen very often. And there's some reasons why. This is considered to be a reflection of the heavenly throne room. It has beautiful meaning. But the problem is people fell into sin. The people have sin. And sin keeps people separated from God because God is perfect. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And that's the reason why if you read the book of Leviticus, we have instances of people who went into the Holy of Holies inappropriately and they got burned up. Some people may think this sounds harsh, but it's because they were not in the right place spiritually to come before God. They went to see God, I don't think so much as because they wanted to offer love to God, but because they were like, we're going in to see God to talk to him because he owes it to us. That didn't work. That's my interpretation of that anyway. And so, the way the tabernacle is designed, instead of having a direct opening to the worship space where God's footstool is, instead there has to be this curtain. And if you listened in the Easter services, we talked about how when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And this is going to kind of help explain some of the meaning behind that in a minute. Most worship took place in the outer courtyard and the priests took sacrifices into the holy place. But once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. A blood sacrifice would be made because blood was seen in ancient times as a purifying agent. It was sacred. That's the reason why there's all these prohibitions about handling blood in the book of Leviticus because it was something that was set aside it was sacred. Only God had the right to blood. <clears throat> so this blood sacrifice is made for the priest and the people so that one man representing the people could go into God's presence. That was the point of the high priest. The high priest was the people's representative to God and the high priest was also God's representative to the people. So the high priest would make this sacrifice and he alone went in to the Holy of Holies to speak to God on behalf of the people because the people had sin. I know some of this is very academic, but this is probably one of the most detailed and in my opinion, one of the best descriptions of what Jesus does on the cross and in his resurrection, if you'll just bear with me. All of this has echoes of what happened with Abraham. The chosen people are broken, and it requires an act of God's grace for them to continue as God's people. Abraham builds this altar on Mount Moriah, and it's only by the grace of God that God provides a sacrifice so that the relationship between Abraham and God continues. And that's what's going on in the tabernacle once a year. High priest makes these blood sacrifices, purifies himself and the people, and communicates with God directly so that the relationship between God and his people is not broken down. 
Jesus comes in fullness of time. And I believe the writer of Hebrews would tell us, if he or she were here to speak to this, and tell us that Jesus comes and, in a sense, takes the place of Isaac. He is now offered as the atonement. But more importantly, he opens a door to God that is now open forever. Because earthly priests were imperfect, they could only go in once a year, and their sacrifice was only good for a time. Because they were imperfect, and as soon as they failed, a new sacrifice would have to be made. But Jesus was perfect and blameless. Jesus now has gone through to the true heavenly throne room into God's presence as a priest, our representative to God now. See, as the high priest was the representative of the people to God, but he could only go in once a year because of his imperfection, Jesus goes into the very presence of God as our high priest, but is able to be there on our behalf forever because he is blameless and his sacrifice once is good once and for all. He is our representative to God and his blood is the sacrifice that cleans us and our earthly temples, the temples of our bodies, because later on when we get into Pentecost, We'll talk about how we're told that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit so that we can now go into God's presence as well because we have been made clean. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. We now have direct access to the Father. We don't have to just wait for one time a year for the curtain to be open and someone to go in for us. The curtain was torn when Jesus died on the cross and we now have direct access to the Father. Like I said, this is a lot to unpack, but it's also a lot of good stuff because it helps us understand the gravity of Jesus' sacrifice and the good news of his resurrection. We too often stop here now at this point and say, yay, I can now go to heaven when I die. And well, yes, we now have an assurance that, we, that when we die, we will go to be with Jesus where he is. But this is actually about something even greater than that. Remember, I've talked about how Eden and now the tabernacle and the temple represented something greater. They were the place where heaven and earth meet. If Jesus has gone into the heavenly temple, and the writer of Hebrews says the heavenly temple is the true temple, the place where God truly resides, the true place where heaven and earth meet, that is greater than these symbolic ones that were made by human hands, the temple and the tabernacle. If Jesus has gone into the heavenly temple and opened the door, and it will never need reopened, then that means that heaven and earth have already been reunited in the person of Jesus. This is why holiness is so important for the Christian life. You see, heaven and earth are now reunited in the church. We, the church, because the church is the people, we are now the place where heaven and earth meet. 
As I said, this is why holiness is so important for the Christian life. It's not to follow rules, but we want to be that place where God is touching earth so that he can do his work of new creation, not just in the future, but here and now. The passage ends saying that Jesus didn't stay dead and that he is coming back again, no longer to deal just with sin, as in sacrifice, but he's coming to bring salvation, new heavens and new earth. He will not come to die again to bring another sacrifice for sin, but he's going to come and finish making all things new. Jesus has opened the way for us to be in direct relationship with the Father through him so that we can be his representatives on earth because like I said, Remember, the high priest, they were the representative of the people that went in to see God, but they were also God's representative to the people. And so likewise, true Christians are God's representatives to the world. So Jesus has opened this way for us to be in direct relationship with the Father through him. so that we can be his representatives on earth and continue his work on earth, so that when he comes again, people will not be surprised to see God living in their midst. Because when a Christian lives their life for Christ, God is already living here. Not saying that we are God, but that God resides in us as his Holy Spirit. Remember what it says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there will I be. He is here, and he is making all things new. Amen.